Good day, good afternoon, good whenever it is you are listening to this. Thank you very much for listening to this. You are checking out yet another Woke and Bake. And today my guest is KOS, a rapper slash producer out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And his new record with Verb and Rusher titled Ordinary Madness is out now. On this episode, we break down his motivations as well as what he's learned over the course of his almost 20-year career. So if you're an artist or an aspiring artist, this particular episode is for you. I've included links in the description for music and videos of the artists we discuss. Real quick, I would like to say congratulations to one of last week's guests, Euros Medic. He joined the UFC based on his performance on this week's Dana White's Contender Series. He won via first round knockout. Sorry, technically, I think it was a technical knockout, but nonetheless, first round win. Boom. Good. Very good. Real quick, I would like to thank my supporters, Iron Asylum, located at 35165 KB Drive behind Save You More. You can find them on Instagram as well as Facebook, plus their website, theironasylumgymak.com. The gym is open 24 hours a day. Personally, I like going in the morning, but it's Alaska in the summer, so pretty much every time of day looks like morning, an exceedingly bright morning at that. Call 907-953-4720 for more information. Also, Red Run Cannabis Company, located on the Kenai Spur Highway. They are the growers of fine cannabis, the brewmeisters of Hashade, blueberry Hashade, strawberry Hashade, and probably some other upcoming flavor of Hashade that I'm not allowed to talk about, but I'm sure that's coming. They also make canna caps, honey sticks, and peanut butter, which is purchased directly from the farmers. In their retail operation, they also carry flour and concentrates, including decarb oil and cartridges. Now, because Red Run has their own manufacturing facility, Nobody can beat their prices. They also stock edibles from Lady Grey and Creative Confections. They stock Alaskan-made Frontier CBD, so be sure to ask your bud tender for suggestions. And check out their website, redruncannabiscompany.com, for more information as well as weed maps for their current menu. Hashade and other Red Run products are available at finer dispensaries in the great state of Alaska. Oh, before I, I get done talking about Red Run, they also make diamonds. What are diamonds, you ask? Over 98% THCA concentrates. Boom, there you go. Get you really, 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 really where you're trying to go really, really quickly and really intense. All right. Next up, 5150 Vapes, located in the heart of Soldatna. They are your home for American-made CBD vape products with over 240 flavors of juice to choose from. They also have coils, mods, and really anything else you could possibly need for vaping. By the way, uh, nicotine is addictive. 10th Planet Soldatna, located inside of All-American Training Center. Classes start at 7 p.m. Kids' classes run concurrent to the adult class, and we normally get done around 8.30 p.m. Classes are taught by 10th Planet Black Belt Curtis Hembroff, and the kids' classes are taught by 10th Planet Purple Belt Priscilla Hembroff. Next up, AK-49 Martial Arts slash Bang Muay Thai, located in the Peninsula Center Mall. Kids BMT class starts at 5 p.m. The adults start at 6. And coaches include BMT Brown Belt, Seth Stacy, and the AFC's 135-pound champion, 
Victor Rodriguez. For more information, including their current schedule, check out AK49 Martial Arts on Facebook and at AK49 Martial Arts on Instagram. All right, ladies, gents, and others, here's a little bit of KOS in your life. Looking good, Bill, man. You got the long hair. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, I get, like, I let my, my my COVID haircut go crazy. I see you got the nice lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I, even during, uh, what, April, I probably shouldn't be saying this. I, I was going to get my haircut when, uh, we weren't supposed to. <laughs> in a hard social setting? Like, I don't, I mean. Yeah, I mean, they were, the barber wore the mask. Um, he cleaned the chair. You know, there weren't a lot of people in the shop. And when we were in there, we were all far away from each other. The only time we were close is when he was actually cutting hair. But, I mean, I was like, I'm, I knew I was taking a risk. And I knew it was maybe a little irresponsible. But I, I needed to go <laughs> get my shit cleaned up. <laughs> so, in defense of you, like, if, if you look at, um, like, certain cases, I, I believe it was a super cuts. Um, these two women had tested positive for COVID, but none of their customers did. I read that, yeah. So, they, they were attributing the, the masks to not um, helping the spread, right? Um, I, I, I didn't hear that, but what I have, you know, from talking to uh, people I know who are barbers and tattoo artists and, like, are part, because uh, in Alaska, um, tattooing falls under, like, barbering, right? So, like... Yeah. Um, so they spend a lot of time sanitizing everything. Like their rules are everything gets cleaned all the time. You go to a barber shop, it's got that smell. It's mm-hmm. got that this is a barber shop cleaned up. I don't know. Like how hand sanitizer used to smell. smell. Yeah. And now he, like he, he said, you know, one of the first things they learn at barber school is how to, how to maintain a clean working area. You know, and I think he was telling me, too, that um, not in the past, but now barbers are more encouraged to wear gloves. And I've been I remember getting my hair cut, I don't know, 06, 07, and the barbers didn't wear gloves. And now everywhere I go, or at least the shop I go, I see barbers wearing the gloves. And I mean, they're always cleaning their supplies. They have the spray. And yeah, like you said, the smell, you know, you're in a barbershop because of that. That it just smells like hygienic, that hygienic smell, that clean smell. Yeah. It, I mean, I wouldn't want my bathroom to have that smell, but like, but I would, I would know, I would know, like, I could take a shit in a public bathroom if it had that smell. Matt, you remember the barbershop in Hanau at the P, at the PX, the one upstairs? Yes. And uh, below that, there was a Baskin Robbins. Yes. And every time I would walk by that Baskin Robbins, there was that weird smell. And that's why I never went to that Baskin Robbins. But uh, yeah, I remember walking past that and you had to go up the steps to the barbershop. And once you got into the barbershop, it just, yeah, that barber smell. And there were three barbers and like a million people waiting to get cut. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or you could go off base and you could spend like $50 on a haircut. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I went to the place by Mr. Video. Mr. Video, yeah, I remember that barbershop. Yeah, I don't know how much I spent, but it was more than I normally spent on a haircut. But like, 
I didn't know what a Caesar was, but I know that I was supposed to have one. Yeah. So I got a Caesar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a dude I went to high school with, and his mom worked at that barbershop in the PX. And I remember the first time, because everybody would wait for that. I forget his name. He was a Turkish cat. Yeah. Everybody would wait for him. And I was waiting for him, and she was like, hop on up. And I was like, I'm waiting for so-and-so. And she was like, nah, hop on up. And she was the first one to actually get a razor and line me up. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is awesome. And she gave me the pointed sideburns. And, like, nice. she edged up the, yeah, dude. So I was like, oh, damn. So I went to her, uh, what, my junior, my sophomore, junior, and senior year. And then if she wasn't there, dude, I would just wait. And, like, I would wait until she came back and I'd find out her schedule. Like, oh, I'm going now. So I forget her name, too, man. <laughs> Dang. But, yeah, that barbershop is the shit. <laughs> it, had its, it had its moments. I don't ever remember getting a bad haircut there, but I always remembered it was, like, I don't know. I got some bad haircuts there, man. <laughs> Not waiting. I don't remember. I don't know. I, I, I just I shaved my head a lot. Like, I would oh. have hair, and then I would shave my head a lot. And, and that was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, and then I didn't. Um, uh, man, how are you? How's... Um, oh, okay. So we've gotten rid of the COVID stuff. Like, we've gotten past that, that mm -hmm. warming up stage. Um, I really want to talk about, um, the, the reason I want to talk to you is it had to do with original madness. Um, not original madness, ordinary madness. Ordinary madness. Um, yeah. Um, which I had a lot of questions about, um, listening to it. Um, and, and I told you when the record first came out that I thought that it was your best, like as, as a rapper, it was easily among your best stuff. You've got a career spanning, um, the first record came out in what, 2006, 2007? 2006, 2007, yeah. Um, I've actually, I still have the, the shirt you gave me upstairs. I wear it to the gym. Oh, yeah, yeah, man, cool. <laughs> yeah. You had, your, you had your Atlanta Braves hat on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeez, um, man. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, thanks for still rocking that, dude. I need to, I have some of those covers laying around here somewhere. I need to find them. Oh man, um, have you considered um, putting that stuff on Bandcamp, or is it on Bandcamp? I feel like it's a brand if it's not on Bandcamp. So okay, the, the first album, the very first one, the one that you're rocking the T-shirt to, I need to find those files, and I have them on a hard drive around here somewhere. But that original project was so, it was put together so fast, and I put it out so quick, just because I wanted to put something out. I wanted something to be out there. Um, that it, it wasn't very well organized the way I released it. And I know the original files are on a computer that I have. I just need to go through them. And I should put them on, on Bandcamp. And, uh, the, you know, Spotify, iTunes, all that. Because I have that capability now. But, um, yeah, I'd be very open to... I, I just need to dig through that drive and find everything, and I could re-release it. Then let's go back to let's go back 14 years because you you just very recently released a record uh, and then from 2016 you said you are uh, I'm it's 2006 you said that that you rushed it. Um, what were some of the, the the first lessons that you learned, or if you could go back in time, like what are three things that you would tell uh, young KOS about uh, releasing a record? I would say you know organize yourself. Um, 
get the songs that you definitely want to put out, uh, organize, you know, get a track list going, have your friends listen to it, have your good friend Bill listen to it, <laughs> ask his opinion, um, spend more time, you know, actually marketing the project on your own, getting that, you know, this was a time where Instagram and, and Facebook and, and MySpace, MySpace was popping, right? Yeah. Um, that was really the only venue we had to share it to the rest of the world, which was better than nothing. Actually, at the time, it was like, whoa. But um, I would tell young KOS to just take your time, maybe keep recording, write more songs, keep it going, and then um, just look at the different avenues you have to release a project. Because I know at that time it was harder, but you still could release something on iTunes. You could still, which was the only uh, streaming application at the time. Uh, that and YouTube. When did YouTube come out? 05, 06? 05, but like, I don't know at what point you were able to monetize it. Like, uh, true, true. So, uh, like, it, it existed as a streaming service, it, exists, uh, it existed as a promotional tool. Mm -hmm. um, and and those, are, those are great. If you're an independent artist and you have access, and everyone now at this point has access to a free promotional uh, uh, avenue. Uh, with stuff like SoundCloud or um, or, or Bandcamp or, or putting your own stuff on iTunes, like um, I don't think anyone, like, you know, unless you were an artist, you understand. Like those those free services were like beneficial all the time because there there weren't a whole lot of avenues to where you could buy music online. It wasn't as accessible yeah. as it is now. Yeah, and then there was um, which I released it on. Uh, it's that mixtape website. Dapiff. That Piff, I released it on there, and um, I guess I would have, going back, I would have spent the money to be a, a, you know, you could be a highlighted release, a, ma yeah. a major like a featured release. Artist, yeah. A featured artist, and they would put you on the main page. And I remember thinking, it was like a hundred something dollars, and I remember thinking, nah, I'm not gonna do that. You know, I'm just gonna release it. I think at the time, I, I going back, um, if I could, I would spend that money to be a featured artist on that page and uh, maybe putting a little more money towards the project. Um, as an independent artist, it's hard, but it's definitely very, uh, especially now, you could put a little bit of money towards your release and get that exposure that you're looking for. So I would have done, going back, I would, I would have done that. Spending a little more money and time. Go for it. Hey, babe. Hey. I'm, I'm definitely doing an interview right now. Sorry, man. Top your shit off? Yeah, man. <laughs> nice. What are you drinking? Uh, coffee. McDonald's brand. <laughs> I, uh, I'm doing the Kroger brand of Colombian. I get it. I get that it. one's a good one, too. I like, um, 
that McDonald's, uh, you is it Ubon? Ubon? Y U B A N. Um, and there's one from Costco that my dad gets, but you actually have to grind. You have to grind the beans, and I don't have a grinder, so <laughs> I'm masked out on that point. But I, I cake up it, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel I feel a little dirty doing it, but I own that dirt. I'm the only person in the house that drinks coffee, so oh, okay. so it's not like it's not like <laughs> worth it to like make a big pot if it's just gonna be like little old me. <laughs> yeah. um, cool, man. Yeah, um, not really, because like it's up there. My my coffee is all the way up there, so you know, like maybe I should bring one down. I don't know. <laughs> Things are beyond me. Um, so back to some of those questions that I had for you. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, moving on a, a little bit. Um, I mean, moving forward to uh, 2018, the release of uh, of the struggle within. Um, okay, so it sounds very different from Ordinary Madness. Yeah. Um, what would you attribute that to? Um, a lot of the songs... Okay, let me just say, uh, to kind of answer another question um, that you sent me, Rusher's production kind of brings out the uh, the battle rapper in me. And, um, you know, I, I got into hip-hop. You know, I, you know, I'm a big Chino XL fan. Um, I'm a big battle rap fan and uh, I got into hip hop, you know, battle rapping. That was one of my favorite things. So Rusher's production, um, when we first met back in 08, his production is aggressive. Um, the samples are aggressive and his drums are aggressive. So it brings out that, you know, I want to tear your face off feeling, <laughs> you know, I'm a better artist and I know it. And I'm going to, I'm going to show you that in my lyrics. Um, so Rusher's production definitely brings out the battle rapper in me, and and uh, it, it gives me that kind of inspiration when I hear his production. Um, Struggle Within, um, I think with my production, I, I move towards, you know, having more of a, a, a guided message, not so much battle rap, maybe a little bit of battle rap elements in there, but um, also, you know, Struggle Within, I started writing you know, during a time when I was, I just left a relationship and, um, you know, the struggle within, um, you know, I, I look at the issues that are going on around me and, uh, whether it's personal, you know, relationships, work, and then, you know, the social, social justice issues. And I, I constantly stress out about those issues and, you know, hence the term stress city, like KO stress, you know, I'm always stressed out. So um, with my production, I'm, I'm always geared towards those messages of, um, you know, personal stress, stress going on around me and stress going on in the world. So, and I struggle with that. That's a personal struggle um, that I constantly think about waking up in the morning and then going to bed at night. So uh, hence the term stress city and then the struggle within, you know, there were a lot of things that I was dealing with internally um, that I wanted to get out with my music. So that that's where that message comes from. Okay. Um, all right. Well, have you thought about yoga? I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, a big thing for me was uh, smoking cigarettes. And um, I have to admit, I enjoy doing it. Uh, you know, you take a break, smoke a cigarette. You know, you feel stressed out, you smoke a cigarette, drink a beer, smoke a cigarette. Um, I finally quit. I quit back in March. 
um, I actually had an ear infection and I went to the doctor thinking I had the COVID and she's like, nah, dude, you have an ear infection. Um, and I just didn't feel like smoking, you know, when you're sick. So I quit. Um, and that took, that actually took a lot of stress off my, my back and, and literally my chest. So I felt a lot better. And then a friend actually recommended, Hey man, you should try, <laughs> you should try yoga. And I just have this image of myself, like rocking, like a, <laughs> like a tank top with the yoga pants. And I'm just like, nah, I can't do that. But I know it's not like that, but, um, I, you're right, dude. I need to, uh, I do go to the gym. I try to go to the gym, uh, three to four times a week. Good. I can press uh, 220 again. Okay. Which was what I was doing in high school when I played football. Um, I do 20, uh, I try to do at least 20 minutes on the elliptical. If not, uh, sometimes I try to go for 45. That's my goal, but at least 20. Um, so that, that has taken a lot of a stress off my plate. And then, you know, just teaching is very stressful as well. So I have those avenues, which help me relieve stress, you know, music, gym, um, but I need to find more and yoga was presented to me. So maybe I should just suck it up and take a class. <laughs> or, or jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. Yeah, dude. It's murder yoga. You get stretched and contorted by someone who's not actually trying to kill you, but will pull you and tug you until you say uncle. Uncle, yeah. Are you doing that? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it, it, legitimately it helps. Like, especially if you, like, I roll with older dudes who are going to wake up sore in the morning because we're all just going to wake up sore in the morning. <laughs> so it's like, so it's tap before something gets hyperextended. I'm not trying to, like, I'm not trying to, to to blast my ego out there. Like, I'm not trying to, like, wreck my buddy's knee because if I want someone to roll with and not be an asshole, then I need that person there. Um, I had to take a couple weeks off. Uh, my in-laws came up, and so the kids wanted to spend time with their grandparents and doing family time and with the newborn. So hopefully Monday I get to go back. Pretty excited. And congratulations, by the way, man. Thank you. Thank you. We're, we're excited. Um, you know, like he's, he's cool, man. He's cool. And I think we've like, we're getting stuff figured out, like sleeping schedules and, you know, um, it's going to be interesting going back to school with, uh, with newborn. Um, we'll figure it out. We'll always figure it out, but, um, yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Babies are cool, man. I like, I don't like, I forgot like how not cool changing diapers was. Cause it had been like 15 years since I'd, I'd had to like, you know, like I had to change diapers. Mm -hmm. and so, you know, it's like, this is, this is not fun. You know, like this is, I mean like, yeah, it happens. You got to change a diaper, but you know, like it's been 15 years since I had to regularly change diapers. It's yeah. not, um, but Hey, it's whatever, man. He's cool. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Shit, we were someplace. We were talking about something. Uh, stress city projects. Uh, yes, yes. Um, so, um, as far as uh, production, uh, you and Rusher's production, we kind of discussed that. But um, what would you say is the big difference between your production styles? Not necessarily like how you rap on the one. Um, but, uh, as far as how it sounds. That's a tough one. Um, cause it doesn't sound different. 
the biggest difference, I guess, is just we're we're just two different people um, making hip hop, and of course, it's going to sound different. I I would really say that, but also, um, I maybe sample selection. Um, I know he is geared towards those, in my opinion, and he might he might differ on on his, but I think he goes for those aggressive sounds more than the. I like going towards you know the strings. And the and and the vocal samples where the you know the chick is oh you know and I could mm, pitch that up and I think he goes goes towards the more aggressive samples you know the what what you would hear a, a battle rapper on I guess uh, uh, you know what I mean um, and then the drums um, I think I add more percussion elements to my drums. Um, it might be on one pattern, you'll hear the tambourine shake at the end, and then on the next pattern, you'll hear the hi-hat do something funky. Um, I like to shift my drums, you know, so that they don't hit right on the one. Maybe they'll hit a, a few milliseconds afterwards. Um, and that's where that Dilla uh, uh, inspiration comes from, you know. is I don't think he used a metronome, and I think a lot of uh, producers kind of gear their drums towards having that swing you know, so the drums don't hit directly where they should. They're a little off. Um, I think I, I tend to do that more than, than Rusher does. Um, but yeah, I, I would just say the drums, the elements of the drums, and then the, the type of samples that we pick. Okay. Um, who, uh, you mentioned Dilla, who are some of your production influences? Oh man. So, um, Dilla, gotta say Dilla. Um, Why? Well, man, to be honest, dude, like, you know, I rock the Detroit hat. Um, my dad is from Flint, uh, Michigan, uh, you know, about an hour up the road from Detroit. So just him being from the, the same state that my dad's from, like, just hearing that as a kid, it was like, oh, man, that's cool. Um, and then just his, you know, again, his his sample, uh, how he picked his samples. Um just reading his interviews and it, you know, he took music seriously, but I also think he didn't take it seriously. Uh, let me explain that. Like he would just go in and create. And um, I feel like that's what I do. I, I go in with the sample and I don't have an idea of how the beat's going to sound. I just let the pads guide me and I let my inspiration guide me. So in, in listening to his music, I could just envision him having a lot of fun making the music without a direct seriousness to it. And that's how I've always tried to make music is um, beats anyway, you know, just, just let the heart guide you. And I feel like his beats did that. Um, and his, how he picked his samples. I mean, I know beginning producing, I would hear his sample and try to find them and, you know, try to mimic the beat, try to make the same one. But um, no, he was a huge inspiration. Drums, again, uh, the sample, you know, letting it go, dropping it out and bringing it back in. Just, I felt that he was one of the more creative hip hop producers. But um, I learned how to make beats from my homie Kems, uh, DJ Kems, Microfono, Mo Beats, OC. They really guided me in uh, production with FL Studio. And those dudes are some of the most talented producers that I got to be around. And uh, 
uh, Microfono actually just released an instrumental album with his uh, partner, uh, Rick Marvel. They go by the Phantom Notes. It's called Retrobap. You should check it out, dude. It's on uh, Actually, Spotify. let me go pull that up on iTunes as we speak. Because yeah, Microfono, uh, I, I agree with you, is a, is a, is a, is a genius. Um, uh, and, and I've played, I think, on, on one of my mixtapes, and, and I've, I've played it before for people, is his remix of The Boy Is Mine. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, that's one of those songs that I played because no one makes remixes like that anymore. Uh-huh. Where it's no. the, the original acapella and then just a chopped up sound underneath it. It's, it's this weird sort of other thing. But what he did was such a, it was such a, a, a hip hop song. Like it was, it, it felt like a 90s, R&B remix where like yeah. and here's the Diamond D remix of this and this mm-hmm. you know or here's the Pete Rock remix yeah. this is the Microfono remix yeah, and it was I remember it, I would sit like next to him and I'd look at his computer and he'd have folder upon folder on his desktop how I remember it and he'd have like boom bat beats uh <clears throat> reggaeton beats uh 2006 beats, um, R&B beats. Like, it would just keep going and going and going and going. And then um, he would play beats for me. He's like, oh, you're not going to like this one. And he'd play it. I'm like, what are you talking about? That shit was amazing. He's like, no, I got something better. And he'd play something else. And I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) And that dude just stays. I mean, you know, you hear about producers making, oh, I made 20 beats today. And you know they're kind of bullshitting. Microfono did that. He would sit down and he would make 10, 15, 20 beats a day. And just being around that, being around those individuals, Mo Beats, OC, Chems, being around that energy really made me focus on my production and really get better at it. So, cool. yeah, I would say uh, those eight and uh, yeah, Phono, Mo, OC, Chems, Dilla, Primo, uh, and then going, even going into, you know, Dr. Dre, Daz. Um, that West Coast, that West Coast feel, um, Battle Cat. Just, yeah, there's so many influences, man. <laughs> um, is there, are there any, um, a sort of, I hate to use the term like new crop or producers, but anyone that's come up uh, in the last five or 10 years that, you know, really sticks out to you? <clears throat> um, there is a producer and he produces a lot, maybe exclusively, I'm not sure. He produces for Conway and Westside Gun. Derringer. 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 Derringer, uh, uh, Derringer released Baker's Dozen uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, instrumental yeah. record, so good. It's another yeah. one of those records that I've like played for people and say, you need to hear this. This is, this is, this is the good shit. If you like Portishead, then you'll like this. If you yeah. like Massive Attack, you'll like this. If you like Trip Hop, you'll like this. Uh-huh. You you know it's it's yeah Baker's doesn't mm-hmm. Derringer's really really good. Um, Derringer, uh, Apollo Brown. Oh my gosh! Another another Detroit, <laughs> another Detroit uh-huh. cat. Um, his man, and I think both of those producers come at it. You know, oh, I have a sample. I'm going to make something out of it. You know what I mean? I don't think they're sitting there going, I'm going to take this piece, this piece, and this piece, and I'm going to. I could be wrong, but it just sounds like they you know they're letting their heart guide them as well. And then, you know, just based on, again, their sample selection, um, it's so inspiring just 
for these guys to have that boom bap element with the sample um in their production because it's a it's an art that's kind of dying and those producers are keeping it alive so but yeah apollo brown derringer those are the two that really come off the top of the head but um i can't <laughs> i can't think of any more um and i mean those dudes are constantly putting out music too yeah there's no you know i think apollo brown tries to put out three to four projects a year so that's you know he had the joel ortiz sky zoo um i forget the other dude's name but i mean he's just always constantly yeah he's he's consistently putting out records and they're like collaborative records and that's what's what's very cool it's 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 him and a rapper and um that rapper's album is not going to sound like this rapper's album yeah um they've got a sound there's there's a there's a consistency there um but it it, it's not the same album for like shay noir that it's going to be for last cast or for um uh joel ortiz or or locksmith or any of these other dudes locksmith Um, that's what i was thinking about yeah oh um the 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 homies from new york from um i believe they're from rochester or or buffalo uh uh special uh, 38 special. I have no idea where he's from. Uh, I was at, I was in the gym this morning working out, listening to uh, Stabbed and Shot, his record with Benny the Butcher. Okay. And Spech has just the illest line I've ever heard. Um, he said, "I have the aura of somebody that'll shoot your daughter while she's watching Dora, or something like that." And it was just like, <laughs> wow, man. <laughs> Like I had to, I had to repeat that line to somebody at the gym, and I was like, I just heard this, and it was amazing. Um, <laughs> like and they didn't even know. <laughs> like you're a terrible human being. <laughs> yeah. What, what the fuck do you um, listen to? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, Thirty Eight Special, uh, his record with uh, Cool G Rap, um, it was mm-hmm. called Son of G Rap, really good. Um, Stabbed and shot with Benny the Butcher. Um, and, and he has, I believe, he has two albums with uh, Shay Noir. Benny? 38 Special. Oh, yeah, 38 Special. Uh, 38 special. Yeah. yeah. Um, so 38 Special also did a record last year called 1994. Yeah. Where he remade that, all the... He remade all the all the uh, uh, hip-hop, major all, hip-hop All the shit at that time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was dope. Uh, and that was, that was cool. Like, that was a... Um, there's this, this term, like, this has been popping up, like, fresh vintage. Like, that's just the only way I can describe the sound where it's cat sampling something that was hot in the mid 90s and then just touching it up and chopping it up and making it sound a little bit different um mm-hmm. jazz soon did it on uh nem's gorilla monsoon record uh mm-hmm. using the sample for who shot you um so then you know to hear who shot you on 1994 and um and shit there was a a, a crooked eye joint on uh because Crooked Eye was releasing a series last year where he was recording like a song every week over like a, 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 a chopped up, almost trapped up um, mid 90s sample. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he rocked over that. Like there was just a whole lot of that like last year and, and going into uh, to this year. But 38 Special is, he's special. Uh, just released a record uh, on Friday. Yeah. Uh, what is it, Six Shots? Six Shots. Two shots, yeah. I need, I need an intro. Um, 
so he released a record. Um, Flea Lord released a record with Pete Rock. Um, so I, as an artist, what are you, I mean, that, that album was, is 10 songs long and it's 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, what is, what are your thoughts on, on songs getting shorter? Um, I, I think for a long time I was writing songs that were <laughs> only uh, two verses long and it kind of took that extra push to get that third verse in because, you know, the, the formula, the original formula for a rap song is 316. Um, I think a lot of artists' mind states is that people's attention spans aren't where they used to be. And so making the song shorter is, is more of an appeal to the listener. And um, also maybe you can still get your message out in two verses rather than having that third verse in there. Um, and maybe it's just, I want to write two verses and that's that. Um, you can definitely put out more music when you only have two verses in a song. And if you have more of those songs, you can make the album shorter and you can put out more projects, which I guess in this day and age, in the, in the digital world, um, having more projects out is better than having one long project, waiting a few years and then putting out another one. Um, I think it's a mixture of what the artist wants and what the world wants and what the digital world wants. So all of those things are kind of bundled up together and people are putting out shorter projects. They're putting out, uh, I guess what you would call an EP. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really don't know though. I, I do think it's the digital world, it's attention spans and it's just what the artist wants and it's that mixture of things. And I kind of hope it doesn't go past that. I hope we're at a good standpoint for a while because next it's going to be one verse songs. And <laughs> we're going to get to 36 seconds so the artists can get their, their song. <laughs> uh, I got 10 minutes to spare. I'm going to listen to five whole albums. Um, mm -hmm. but, but to speak specifically to, to, to Flea, right? Because I, I enjoy Flea. I enjoy that there's a new record coming out every month and I can count on it like clockwork. And this is what he sounds on, sounds like on a handful of Buck Wild beats. And this is what he sounds like on a handful of Pete Rock beats. And this is what he sounds like on, a, on you know, like these are who, whoever it is. Like these are also collaborative records and these beats were picked for a reason or these songs were recorded for a reason. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I looked at that. Um, I was like, this is 10 tracks and it's 20 minutes long. It's just that I don't want to say that's too short, but yeah, I think you're, you're hundred percent right with, with the streams and, and with the short attention span theater, it's mm -hmm. kind of better for everyone. Um, yeah. They're not drawing you out into some, some like really long, intense story that's going to pull on for 30 minutes. I don't know. Yeah. It just allows an artist to put out more music during the year. Um, which, you know, with, with the streaming and people not really buying albums anymore, but people are still getting paid from the streams. So having more projects makes sense at a business standpoint because those streams are constantly going, 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 especially if you continue putting out new music. So and it doesn't suck. That's the other. It doesn't that, suck. Yeah. That's the other thing is like you, having someone that's going to like you mentioned earlier, like having someone you trust listening to it before you play it for the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Griselda's another another crew that are like that. They'll 
any any of their any of their members, whether it's West Side, whether it's Kanye, whether it's Benny or anyone like that, they're they're going to release at least like four records through the year. Yeah, um, and they do it right. You know, they they have the uh, the limited edition cassette tape, or they have the we made twenty shirts for the release of this album. You know, be the first to get it, or you know, we only made this many copies of the CD. So the way they they gear their releases are creative. It makes the people want to listen, and like you said, it doesn't suck. So the just the all out how they release is going to continue to make them a staple in the hip hop community. So, agree, agree. <laughs> um, I, I again, like I didn't need fifteen songs from him and Alchemist. Like the Lulu record was just fine. Yeah. Um. And that's another thing, you know, you're getting a lot of artists, and I think Alchemist is one of them. They record so much music throughout the year, and they make so much music throughout the year that um, I think, I, I might be wrong, but uh, he had a few albums come out, like the Bread EP. It was like Bread. Uh, uh, he had the Freddie Gibbs record that just came out. Yeah. But I think, like the Bread one, he was saying that, you know, I have so much music that nobody really wanted to put out. They were kind of like songs that were on the back burner. And he was like, let's just make a compilation and I'll put five songs on this project and boom, there you go. So with the digital world, it's easy to get those songs and be like, hey, let's make a project out of this. Boom, it's out. And then that just puts more into the artist's library, into their catalog. That makes uh, that makes uh, absolute sense. I Like a traditional... Like, um, like when the Pete Rock Soul Survivor uh, came out, like those were full records that you had to promote for, you know, like three months and yeah. uh, and market and get a, a video budget. Here it's, here's 10 songs, boom. Yeah. Uh, and, and if it doesn't suck, it doesn't suck. So <laughs> um, going to, speaking to collaborations um, and, and collaborating with uh, with other artists, uh, does it take pressure off of you as an artist to share a song with other artists? Does, you know, um, and does it allow you to put more emphasis in another direction? For example, Rusher on production and Verb on the other end of a song. Yeah, so when, when you're working with uh, more artists, it definitely takes the pressure off. Um, I know Rusher will, uh, <laughs> he'll constantly send us beats and he'll be like, all right, I have this beat. KOS, you're going to do 24 bars. Verb, you're going to do 24 bars. I'm going to get scratches for the hook. We're done. So it's like, okay, um, you know, sometimes Verb will write his 24 bars and I'll go off that concept. Or I'll write my 24 bars and Verb will go off that concept. We'll send the vocals to, to Rusher. We'll send him the WAV files. He'll get it mixed down. He'll send that to the DJ. DJ does the cuts. You know, boom, 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 boom. We have a song done in two days, two or three days. Um, it definitely takes the pressure off. And then it also allows me to work on other projects. Um, I know uh, me and Soy, uh, Soy the Organic Hispanic, good homie. We have a project coming out here. We have the singles coming out on Friday. And then the album should come out in September. It's called Tamalewood. So, um, and that, you know, with Soy doing the other verses, you know, that takes a lot of pressure off that project. So it's, I'm working on two different things, but um, having different artists on those projects allows you, you know, it takes a lot of the pressure off. So you are able to work on more music. Yeah. All right. Um, 
so <laughs> sorry so the questions were also like in the sequence so like um so where does everyone live and uh if you're all geographically separated like how how do these records uh get recorded the way that they are like you're able to stay on concept um, or what I, I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Verb lives in Lancaster, just outside of LA. And Rusher kind of bounces between Brennan and, uh, and Studio City, uh, Los Angeles. So right now, because of COVID and everything, uh, Rusher's been in Studio City this entire time. Um, usually how it works is, uh, Rusher will get the beats made and he'll send it to us through email <laughs> or Dropbox. Uh, Dropbox is a huge thing. He goes, oh, there's some new beats in the Dropbox. I'll download them, verbal, excuse me, verbal download them. We'll get the songs done. Um, after that, I just send, we send the vocals to Dan and he gets them mixed down in uh, Studio City. So we're able to do this because we all have home studios. Like I don't, I don't need to go anywhere to record. My bedroom is five feet away from me, so I just wake up and I can come right in here. I got the mic set up. Um, I have Logic. I record on Logic. So having those capabilities allows us to make music at a quicker pace, I guess, than some other people. Um, yeah. So everything is just here in the house, and I'm able to record, get it done send it to Rusher and Rusher mix. He comes from a, a producer background, as you know, but he also knows how to mix down and master. So having that capability, again, allows us to get music done at a quicker pace than most people. So email, <laughs> email and home studios, man. <laughs> um, I want to talk about some of the, the song titles. Um, going back to, um, um, Ordinary Madness, um, Mind Awake, Body Asleep, Lullabies for the Sleepless. Um, how did some of these song titles come to be? It's all Russia, man. <laughs> it's all Russia. No, so um, when we would get the beats, we, you know, we would just record. We would write and we would record whatever you know inspired us. And um, I think Russia took our lyrics into account. And, he, and if there was a vocal sample, in the beat, he would take that into account and he would try to mix it to where uh, um, it would make a good song title. So it's it's all Rusher, man. It's all it's his decision. Um, he would come up with the song title and he'd go from our he would he would come from our lyrics and he would come from if there was a vocal sample in the beat. How has um, moving on to, to Melancholia, uh, mm -hmm. which was a, a collection of songs you released with Rusher? Um, earlier this year. So going on to that, um, how did that collection come to be? Um, I met Rusher uh, <laughs> during the during the MySpace days, I believe 2007 or eight, I think it was eight. Um, and uh, a friend of mine from K-Town, uh, Dustin, who went by the artist name, still goes by the artist name of Warpath. Um, he got a job in Brennan so Dustin moved to Bremen, where he was still doing hip-hop music, and he got in with the hip-hop community up there, and he met Rusher. And he was playing him some of our songs that we have together. And Rusher was like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd like to meet this guy. So Rusher wrote me on MySpace and was like, hey, 
uh, would you like to work on music? So he sent me a beat, I recorded it, sent it back to him. And then um, from there, we just kind of continued our relationship. I ended up moving back to New Mexico 2000, late 2009. And um, he was still sending me beats and he had this idea for a project uh, in 2010 to call it Melancholia, you know, we'll make it really dark. Well, the song concepts will be, you know, um, what inspires you, but also let's let's make this album, you know, something that's uh, that'll make people think, kind of, you know, have some dark concepts to it. I mean, it's called Melancholia. <laughs> so um, again, at the same time too, I, I had also just gotten out of a, a relationship. And um, so I was in that mind state and the music he was sending me was pretty dark. The, the beats were pretty dark. And um, continued recording, recording, recording. Uh, Rusher got into making movies, into making uh, films and also doing videos for other artists. So I think at that point um, we, were, we were making music but he was also working on you know movies. He was working on film sets, he was doing his short films and the music, it was, it was kind of like half that, half the music. So finally, he got to 2020, and he's like, hey, man, we, we have all these songs that we've recorded over the years. Let's put out Melancholia, but also put uh, make a new song, and we called it Decade, and it's on Melancholia, and also kind of create the concept of we've been making this album for, <laughs> for the better part of, what, ten, a decade, 10 years, and uh, we'll, we'll put the concept in that this song was created in 2008. This song was created in 2012. The song was created in 2014. So we, we put the two concepts together and we finally released Melancholia. <laughs> Do you have um, a favorite song on the record? Yeah, I guess it would be Decades, the newest one. Um, that uh, we filmed the video and uh, I, had a, I had a good homie that passed away um, uh, almost a year ago now. And uh, we shot some of it down at, uh, uh, some homies made a mural of uh, Omega down in the neighborhood he's from, Barelas. And uh, we shot down there at the uh, at the mural. And that, I don't know, man, it just, it, it made the song that much better that we got to make a video and then we shot down at his mural. So Decade, um, also the intro, I love the intro. Um, it's just like 32, 34 bars straight. And um, you know the guy that, that does the movies? In a world. Yeah. Wow, he, that's the guy, the, the movie guy did the intro. <laughs> Cool. Because uh, Rusher and him are pretty good friends. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Dude, I, was, uh, I was listening Rusher to was like, hey, man. He was like, hey, I got the movie guy to do the intro. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I know the guy that does the intros for the for the movies, for the trailers. So uh, his name is Jonathan. I forget his last name. Shit. I'll, I'll ask Rusher his last name and get it to you. But yeah. When he told me that, I was like, oh, man, that's cool. He's like, yeah. Welcome to Melancholia. Like, yes. <laughs> welcome to depression. Yeah, welcome to depression. Yeah, dude, it was great. So, um, when you listen to music that that Rusher sends you, like, what are you listening for? Uh, what do you mean? Um, you, you sort of take like a battle tone, or yeah. whether you're going to go down like the talk about depression, or or whatever it is like what is it that you're listening for that's triggering the lyric um i guess it's the type of sample that he uses you know a, the, the dark strings definitely bring out the the depression the mood the dark mood um lately though so we actually have a album so, sorry side note we have an album 
coming out in November. And his production drastically changed. Well, okay, it didn't drastically change, but he's using more elements from this decade, the later part of the decade, in, in his music. So um, there's that. He's, he's definitely put some, there's some trap influences in there. Um, some some uh, hi-hat elements that I've never heard him use <laughs> that come from that trap element. But um, I don't know, man. I guess I just listen toward, I listen for, you know, if it's, it's hard to say. It kind of, I kind of just play the beat and then wherever the beat takes me, that's where the pen goes, you know. When you start making a beat, um, how how far advanced are you thinking? Like, oh, here are the drums, this is what the sample's going to be, or maybe there's not a sample, maybe it's a melody I'm going to play. Where so you, I, I really start with the sample. Um, I'll look for a sample, and if I hear something that I like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to sample that, and I'll throw it into the machine. And um, I sam I try to sample as much as the song as I can. And I have it on the machine, I have the 16 pads, and I just start... just start going around the different chops and I'm like okay this one's gonna sound good okay this one's gonna sound good with that one and then I just I record it um so usually I start with the sample and then uh I go next to the drums and then however the sample's chopped that's where the drums will take me you know the the sample guides where the drums go um sometimes I lay the drums first and the drums guide me as to how the sample's gonna sound so it's kind of a mixture um but most of the time I do start with the sample and I just kind of piece together what I think, how I think the sample should go. Um, can we talk about uh, geographically? Um, you mentioned uh, living in Germany, um, uh, your, your production, uh, what you learned in, in K-Town, um, in Kaiserslautern and with um, dudes like Microfono and OC. Um, how would you, describe the influence of Albuquerque on your sound? Oh, man. So th this is, we call it the high desert. We're in the desert. We're in the high desert, and uh, it's dusty. So I try to take that, that, that southwestern feel, and I try to put it on my, my sound, whether it's, you know, uh, dusty scratches here and there, whether it's um, a, a shaker that sounds, you know, that's, been stepped on a billion times, uh, putting in the, those vinyl scratches. So um, being in the desert, um, you know, there's hardly any water out here. It's uh, it, a lot of people, it's dry. So I put in those crunches into the snare. Um, also, uh, coming from the Southwest, we have that, that Mexican influence. So um, I tried putting in those elements as well, man. The Lots of shakers. Lots of uh, uh, percussion elements that you wouldn't normally hear in a hip hop beat. Um, who are some of your musical influences um, as uh, a rapper? You mentioned Chino XL earlier. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man, Chino XL. Just, uh, just hearing No Complex for the first time as a what? When did that come out? Ninety six. Ninety six. Ninety six. Hearing that as a sixth grade, seventh grade student, and just hearing this artist say things without 
know, I'll, I'll treat you all like Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston's marriage, one big joke. I'm like, oh, I'm like, did he just say that, dude? Like, that was, you know, hearing an artist as aggressive as he still is and saying things that I didn't hear, I, I didn't hear a lot of rappers saying things like that. Yeah, cancel culture had, hadn't been thought of at that point. Oh, dude. And like, I don't think, I think Chino Excel could still get on stage and say a lot of those things and we'd be like, oh, shit. He could say them, but I don't think he That's could say them as a new artist. But say that again? I think you could, Chino XL could say that because he said these things in 1996. However, yeah. as a new artist, if you were to come out and say this, this, or that, like if you went, to, I don't think there's, there's really no, no way to describe how different it was then. Uh, Cause you had, you know, had Willie D, you had Chino XL, you had dudes that really could and did say anything. Right. Mm -hmm. But Chino XL as a new artist, the, those things he's saying are, um, yeah, there's, it's like remaking a Mel Brooks movie. Like it's remaking like Blazing Saddles. Like it's just, a new artist couldn't do that. But the yeah. fact that it was done in 96 and, and he was able to say these things and still yeah. be able to say these things, yeah. uh, he, he still wrote No Complex. He still uh, wrote Freestyle Rhymes. Well, maybe Freestyle I mean, even in, even in Even in his serious songs in Creep. Oh my know? God. Did I take the 380 assassinator like Selena? You're just like, oh, oh, man. You're like, did he, you know, I love Selena and I love her music. But when he said that, I was like, whoa, you know, you feel that, that yeah. pain of a relationship. You know what I mean? And it's like, whoa, did he just say that in a, in a serious ass song? Like he did. So having that, like listening to Chino Excel and then looking at my pen saying, you know, don't care what people are going to think, just write. You know, right, right where you know it takes you. So Chino was so big influence. I finally got to meet him, man. I got my uh, my uh, um, ah, what's the, what's the name of the first album? Here Shit. to save you all. Yeah, here to save you all. I finally got it signed. Um, I I met him. Just a cool cat, man. <laughs> signed it. Got a picture with him at his show. So uh, yeah, Chino XL, man. Just that not give a fuck mentality, you know, and and also try to write to where you can make somebody go, what, you know, like, what, <laughs> you know, what did he just say? Or what did she just say, you know? And yeah, there was a rewind factor to that. Like, it was a rewind factor, and, and yeah. Cannabis, um, those dudes that just, they say something, you're like, I've, I've got to hear that again. And how did your brain get to that point? Like, that's, like, I, I understand um, if Wikipedia is to be trusted, uh, Chino XL is a member of Menza. A member of what? Mensa. Um, see, it, it's like a, it's like the Masons for smart people. It's the genius oh. Illuminati. Um, okay. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's documented as a very in intelligent human being, uh -huh. and the fact that like he chose to be uh, a rapper and and an actor makes me grateful he didn't become an accountant. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm I'm glad you pursued your dreams, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Nota, that, I think is is one of the one of the best written rap songs um, of all. Which time. one? Nunca. Nunca. Yeah, dude. Oh man, just he. Yeah, he he goes off in that. You know, I don't. Wow. What does he say? Um, we don't we don't worship Christ. We worship the thieves crucified next to. Oh man, like. <laughs>
you're just like, oh man, how do I how do I take that and incorporate it into my music? How how did he come to that line? You know, like we don't worship Christ, we worship the thieves crucified next to him. Um, like, yeah. Also on the second album, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, the, the oh, man. one with Cool G rap. Um, be real. Be real. Uh, yeah, on the, the Yeah, the Dillaby. Don't say a word, man. You know, climb the ladder of success, lean against the wrong house. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> How does your fucking yeah. brain work? Like he's yeah. just, just a just a smart fella. Yeah, dude. So I mean, I would say he's probably been the biggest influence uh and then Nas you know um just his wordplay and, and his lyrics you know uh, I forget what song it is on Illmatic but he he says something along the lines of uh you know his face was telephone blown and it's like well what does that mean and you know it, it, it means he was cut from his ear to his mouth you know like how you hold a telephone and I'm just once I got that I was like oh man that's fucking that's crazy you know how did he come up with that? But um, yeah, Nas, Chino, um, I mean, even Quali, you know, going back to his first album, you know, Move Something. Um, those three artists right there. Uh, and then even just, you know, growing up in, a, you know, my dad listened to a lot of Van Morrison and a lot of Bob Dylan. And, uh, just having that classic rock influence too, you know, the storytelling, using lots of metaphors, not really knowing what the artist is talking about. Like, what is Bob Dylan saying there? My dad's just like, I, he knows, you know, the rest of the world doesn't know, but Bob Dylan knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Some shit's supposed to be a mystery. Uh, Masters yeah. of War is, is one of those songs for me from Bob Dylan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's it just, just super influential. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the, uh, um, Eddie Vedder and Stone Gossard did a cover for like a Bob Dylan anniversary show. Oh, I'll, wow. I'll, I'll throw the link in the description. Um, okay. Yeah, in, including I'll, I'll include a whole bunch of Chino XL videos, and that's one of the. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big. I mean, uh, I'm a fan, and these are the stuffs out on streaming services. So, like, to not include a link to your music, and to not include a link to like music that is available to most people that want to hear it, would kind of be doing a disservice. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of music out there that needs to be shared that isn't, in, in my opinion. So yeah, agreed, 100. <laughs> percent um, So if you could recommend then um, two records um, that people probably haven't heard that they probably should, I would take it to Chino XL here to save you all. Um, just the features on that album. And that's the album that got him in trouble with Tupac. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to be the one to repeat that line or do you want me to? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna repeat that. <laughs> I'm not gonna repeat this. that line. Google's a real thing. That's the album that got him in trouble with Pac. Um and then uh, you know, the Raz Cavs feature on there, and then just the songs creep, um, no complex. I mean that's battle rap at its finest, dude. That's that's the album that I was like, okay, this this is what I want to do. <laughs> um, and then I another. Listen to it recently. It it holds up as like it as an unheard gem. Like if you if you didn't know that this album existed, uh, even the even the stuff that was kind of like hooky, like yeah. it, you know, it's it holds up because it was it was done well. It just didn't sound like everyone else. Yeah. Um, just a fucking dope record. I would probably agree with you 
And then, um, what else, dude? I'd have to say Tribe Called Quest, dude, Midnight Marauders. That's one of my favorite hip-hop albums. And you could tell that they were just in the studio having a good time. The beats, uh, the Q-tip on the beats, dude. And, and it was, it's just an all-out fun record, you know? And um, I, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, I'm kind of scared to check out hip-hop. What's an album that I should check out that's not going to scare me? And I'm like, Midnight Marauders, Tribe Called Quest. <laughs> So um, I would say those two projects, Chino XL, uh, Here to Save You All, Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders, and they're so, they're hip hop, but they're, they're so different from each other. Yeah. In concepts, beats, um, yeah, two projects right there. <laughs> All right. Um, would you recommend anything made in the last five years? Yes, I would say, It's hard to pick, so I would just say any project that Apollo Brown touched, uh, whether it's Raz Kaz, Blasphemy, Mona Lisa, Joel Ortiz, um, up to Shea Noir. Uh, uh, what, what's the Shea Noir album called with Apollo uh, Brown? Just talking about it. Um, uh, uh, as God. Something about God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Shea Noir. <laughs> um, it is called As, as, God, God, as God Intended. Yeah, so anything done by um, Apollo Brown. Dude, did you check out, uh, you know Rhapsody? Yes. Speaking Rhapsody. female rappers. Her album, what is it called? Eve? Yes. Um. Eve, yep. It's on my on my playlist. Got um, the that, that's a dope album. And then also... Now, did Night Hunter produce all of that as well? Or did he, he produce that? As God Intended? No, no, or, no, no, no. That's Apollo Brown. Um, but Eve from, uh, oh. from Rhapsody. Who produced it? Who Night you asking? I think he has some beats on there. I don't think he did the whole thing, though. Okay. I'll have to look that up. And then uh, Retropolitan, Sky Zoo, Pete Rock. Okay. That's a favorite project. Oh, anything Planet Asia. Planet Asia is like my favorite artist right now. Um, anything that he touches. And he also had an album with Apollo Brown called Anchovies, where there's no drums. It's just a sample and a bass line. Have you, have you heard that, the Anchovies album? I didn't know that existed. Dude! I'll listen to it today. You get off here, and, we're, and when you have time, go check out Anchovies, Planet Asia and Apollo Brown. Okay. Yeah, dude. I'll definitely do that. I've, I've recommended as God intended for the level since it came out. It's a really, really good record. Um, yeah, highly recommend it. Yep. All right. Um, KOS, man, thank you so much for your time. Hey, Bill, man, let's let's do this again sometime, and uh, I'll get you on. I'll get you on mine. I'll get you on my plug your podcast, sir. Thanks, man. It, it kind of took a, a standstill here for a while just because of everything that's going on and schedules and all that. But I'm hoping to uh, to get it back on. I'm thinking about getting a, a digital recorder, one of those high-tech digital recorders, so I can, like, go on the road, you know, go to people and meet people other places rather than just having one meeting point. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm going to get it going here soon. Zoom's awesome. Zoom's awesome for that. Okay. And you can, you're recording this right now, right? Yeah. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. So I'll have audio and video. I'm going to put it, like, I'm, that background's going to be on YouTube when this goes up. Ah, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, dude. Yeah. So Zoom's awesome, and it lets you change your background and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Nice, so, I'll have you. Yeah. It's a fucking green screen. The whole thing's green screen. Nice, dude. <laughs> I, I don't know if my landlord will let me paint my wall, but I'll, dude, I'll definitely ask. <laughs> green sheet. Just put a green sheet up. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You can just put up a sheet. Hmm. Thanks, man. Thanks for the, thanks for the inspiration. <laughs> All right. Um, so plug your podcast real quick. Oh, well, I have a podcast. It's called The Red and Green Report. Um, it's on YouTube. It's on Anchor. It's on Spotify. It's on any podcast app that you have. Um, I have currently 17 episodes. Um, check it out. I, it's really, um, I meet people from Albuquerque or from New Mexico and I just try to get their oral, their oral history, you know, from birth to what they're doing right now. Um, I kind of ask them their inspiration, you know, why is it, uh, why do you do what you do? Um, what advice would you give people in your, you know, based on your experience, what advice would you give people to, to be successful? And um, I've interviewed uh, lots of hip hop artists, lots of DJs, a few educators, um, a few close friends. So check it out. The Red and Green Report, YouTube, all it's on all uh, streaming apps, podcast streaming apps. All right. And then uh, Soy, Soy and KOS, a uh, new single comes out Friday, August 7th. It's called Apex. Uh, check it out. The album Tamalewood's coming out in September. And then Rusher and KOS, new album coming out in November called Mindfold. Um, I'm excited for that one. I got one more song actually to record and then we're done. Um, yeah, man, just so much music coming out. So uh, let's talk again, dude. And yeah, we'll just great. chop it up and bullshit now. <laughs> let's talk before Somali World. Um, and I'm sure all the music that you're doing with Rusher on the new album is real happy stuff. Yeah, man. It's uh, actually, it's more, um, I think it's a little more upbeat. Got, got some trap sounding beats on there where but nah, not like that but yeah man <laughs> dance music I, not really not really no. no you're not gonna get that diplo remix going nah man i don't think so <laughs> right, if you asked though i wouldn't uh you'd have to think about it no, man. but um yeah man good talking and uh let's talk soon Again. all right have a good one all right dude. peace
As per 3AAC 306.360, Alaska Marijuana Control Board Cannabis Use Warning A. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit-forming and addictive. B. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under its influence. C. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. D. For use by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children. And E. Marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. Red Run Cannabis Company, License 3A10056. Red Run Cannabis Cultivators, License 4A10052. Red Run Cannabis Cultivators, License 5A19372. 5455 Kenai Spur Highway, 12156 Kenai Spur Highway, Kenai, Alaska, 99611.